We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm here today with Brian Rippey. We'll discuss some baseball, some other happenings in the sports world, and whatever else uh, comes to mind over the next hour and a few minutes here with you. On this edition of the show, a show brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. You know about the lunch specials. They change every day. Two sides, bread, a fountain drink of your choice from a size standpoint. Maybe you want to do dinner. They got the ribs. They got the hot case. You get the uh, the pork, the chicken, plenty of options, dessert, sides, lots of things there at the Oxford Exxon. And Blue Sky locations up and down I-55, including in Clinton, if you're in the Jackson metro area. You can get one of the uh, homemade donuts that they have available. They make those fresh every single morning there in Clinton. A lot of varieties, a lot of flavors, a lot of frostings. They're going to final. They're going to expand to uh, all blue skies, but for now they are there in Clinton. So again, that's the Oxford Exxon coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, six six two two five seven nineteen hundred Amory, Mississippi. Corey wants to be your car guy. Wants to be your truck guy. He will take care of you. So give Corey a chance. No matter where you are in the car buying process, he'll help you out. Give you a quote quickly and get you on your way in your next vehicle where it is. So, again, that is, uh, that's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900, Highway 25 South. Brian joining me on the My Perfect Franchise hotline. Andy Ludicke can help you uh, secure your next franchise. That's My Perfect Franchise there with us today. Brian, you, uh, you, you a donut person? I am. I was actually going to make a comment about that. I like the old homemade donut I've become more of a breakfast person in the last couple of years. I used to never eat breakfast at all, but now I guess once I started doing it, now I'm hungry in the mornings. I've been hitting community donuts up a lot. I don't know if that's a conflict of interest. That one's in Oxford, but they make a great donut. If Blue Sky Clinton ever comes to Oxford, I will, uh, of course, devote my loyalty to the company line there. But I am a donut guy. Not really a big, like, eccentric donut, like, I'll try this one out of the box, but, like, your typical glazed chocolate, whatever, I, I do appreciate it. So you want the glaze, you don't want, like, the cake donut? I'll do both. I There's some cake donuts that I like. I prefer probably kind of the softer glazed whatever more so than, like, the cake donut, but uh, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to that. Anything that's homemade, pretty good. Um, community donut, you can do it and get, like, two of them for, like, three bucks, which is pretty solid. Um, 
hell of an operation they have running there. You can buy Red Bull, you can buy Powerade. So uh, I guess this is now sponsored <laughs> by Community Donuts. But uh, yeah, I've definitely been in that drive-through line a few times. Yeah, I'm. If I just completely get my druthers and they have anything I want, I like the uh, I like the the glazed with the chocolate and then uh, the coconut flakes. Like so I'm I'm not a coconut guy, but I pre- I can see why other people are. Like it's just not my taste. It's one of those things I feel like you're not neutral on it. You either like it or it's not for you. So were you trying to put pounds on? Why'd you become a breakfast guy? What were you doing? Probably just to feel better in the mornings and just you know get at peak performance. Uh, I don't know. A few pounds would help with the golf swing, um, and you know uh, actually moving it out there a little further. So I mean I'm not like hitting the gym or doing protein shakes or anything. I think I just got to the point where it was like you know. I'd like 10 a.m. I'm hitting a wall if I don't have something in my stomach before lunch. This is more back to the DARPRO days where there was like a on-campus or on-office cafeteria, but they didn't start serving until like 1130. So I was like, All right, I probably need to get something in me before then. That's probably how this started, honestly. You're still in the private sector, business world, all that kind of stuff. But what's it been like just no longer uh, slinging the grease? It's been different. Uh, you know, the company I work for now is uh, it's a private equity firm and they have three different companies. I would say each one of them does not overlap in terms of like the type of marketing stuff. So I've been having to learn a lot, but I get in some ways it's no different. I knew absolutely nothing about um, grease recycling and renewable diesel and all that. I'd be <laughs> lying if I told you I knew a ton about how the dental practice or the buy here, pay here, car dealership or debt buying and collecting work. So it's basically just learning three versions of what I did when I moved out to Dallas. Um, so it keeps me on my toes. It's interesting, but uh, there, there I, there's no overlap. There's nothing I took from, you know, spamming Chick-fil-A franchisees uh, for their business and the dental world for sure. You did that? The Chick-fil-A thing? That was my whole job. Our whole job was basically just to go get deals with either corporate, like Whataburger, like corporate or something like that, or like the largest franchisees in the country. So like you're targeting people that own 60 McDonald's or 70 Zaxby's and stuff like that. That was pretty much the whole the whole name of the game. That and kind of your internal stuff and then like blogs about how we're saving the world and all that stuff. So you're graded on this, like how many you get or don't get or whatever. I was not directly graded because they didn't have a marketing department before I did. I say they didn't have a marketing department. They had like one person, but they didn't have like a full-fledged like actual operation. So I wasn't graded on it per se, but like I think if they'd have gotten six months in, they're like, this is not working while they hire this guy, then we'd probably had some conversations. I, I know like other than spectator, you're not necessarily necessarily going to every game, you're not doing it from a media standpoint, but just being closer, being back here local, you feel like you're more locked into this baseball season. I mean, what's it kind of been like being back versus, you know, doing it from 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 afar from Dallas and trying to keep up with it? I know you still talk to Colin for your show every week. And, you know, it's been very similar regular seasons in some way. Obviously worse this year, but it wasn't like it was a bed of roses for them for a good bit of uh of 2022 either because I'll, I'll be honest it's i haven't i'm not checked out at all i'm very much ingrained with what's going on with the baseball team with the baseball season where they are and i guess some of it's good some of it is like this spin forward thing i've already kind of got my head on hey how do they fix it what does this look like what's the roster potentially look like moving forward but it's made it where the actual season, it's flown by in a way. I mean, we're sitting here only three weeks left in the regular season, and then whatever does or not does not come after that. But it's been one almost like homogenous blob. Like, I feel like every week is just run upon itself, and it feels like it looks exactly the same. 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I would say the baseball season's kind of been the antithesis of everything else that's come as a result of living back in Oxford. And that's just surely due, I think, to the team struggles. Like when, when I was in Dallas and we first started doing that podcast, and then halfway through that 2021 season, we started with the whole Rebel Grove thing, which obviously made it much more of official of an operation. I was pretty locked in because Colin and I would do the show every Sunday that seemed to catch on pretty quickly. The team was good. That 2021 year was a pretty dramatic regular season. And in its own right, 2022, even though we went into it thinking like, oh, this is kind of meaningless. What do they do in June? Turned into its own like, you know, saga in its own right. And so I'm watching every game on television and I'm pretty locked in and doing the show and all that. It's not that I'm not locked in now, but being back here, my my parents go to all the games they have season tickets and so I'll start going to the games in person with them and there's some advantages to that um in that you're in the ballpark you're you know, uh, you're actually at the event and at the game but then it's the kind of anything else where it's like you get talking to them or some of their friends and like half an inning goes by and you're like what actually happened there where I actually felt like when I had no other choice but to watch the games on television I actually got a better vantage point and didn't have to do as much of like the homework on Sundays before I go back and record with Colin, just because for whatever reason, just like anything else nowadays, it's almost like easier to keep up with the game on television at times than it is in person. Now with everything else, it's been a huge plus because, you know, with some of the written stuff we've done on the site, it's a lot easier being here. And like, I feel like more story ideas and content ideas pop up being around in Oxford where there's like a, even though how like no matter how hard you try, being in two states away, there's just a certain element of like it's hard to be as locked in. So I feel like generally I'm more locked in. But with the way this season's gone and going to some of the games in person and like that being a vehicle to like, you know, see people I don't see all the time. Otherwise, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag, if that makes sense. What's it? I mean, I, I say this and it's dumb because obviously anybody can answer this question. People listening are probably rolling their eyes, but I'm curious because you've covered a lot as media as well. So you have the same thing that I experienced day in and day out. What kind of product do you feel like baseball at Swayze is in 2023 for the fan? I mean, when you just go to the games, I mean, what? how, how do you sort of rate that that experience? It's interesting. I went to the Saturday LSU game, I guess it would be approaching two weeks ago, weekend before last and I was going to go to the Friday game, but it got delayed and the weather wasn't great. And so we just ended up not actually showing up to the game. But I went on Saturday and it was like a picture perfect kind of postcard type of day. The weather was awesome. The crowd was great. And so from that vantage point, I felt like there was a different vibe with the crowd because of the way the season has gone. But I don't think an outsider could have walked into that stadium and thought, oh, man, like this is not the same as it's been the last two years. Um, because there was just a bunch of people in the stands, everybody was enjoying themselves and it was a good weather day outside. So there's a certain element of that. Like I, I wasn't here last weekend because ironically enough, I was in Dallas, but like, what was the crowd? What were the crowds like last weekend for double decker? Was there any slippage at all? That was what I was curious about when I left this past weekend, because Morgan Wallen, I know that turned into a real, real deal, but a lot of people in town, LSU, big series, like I figured the crowds would be good. And then them losing that series and getting swept the way they did and being kind of like the final nail in the coffin. I was curious if attendance would dip at all. What was that like this weekend? Yeah, I thought the Saturday crowd especially was down. Now, look, it was it was raining early. Nothing got delayed or anything, but there was rain in the air. The game got Saturday double decker. Yeah, sure. And the game got moved from one thirty to noon. So you have to at least play that in. However, in saying that, 
just from my memory and recollection, it was the smallest double-decker baseball crowd I can remember for a Saturday. It was not one of those where it's going to test the 10, 11,000 and try to break a record or anything along those lines. Because, you know, the the largest crowd in school history for a while before the, the stadium expansion was uh, – a double decker Saturday crowd in the old stadium before the before the 2009 expansion. Now it was a uh, it was a number that no one realized because I think looking back it was an SID at the time. This is Hoover before before Bill Bunning. Uh, he I think he used Eli's career passing number as the attendance. So that was the number listed as the attendance on a, on a record there for a while. I, I I I've always heard that. I guess it could be myth, but I think it's right. I, I think that is actually true. That at one point, that's what the number was. How legitimate are those attendance numbers? Because in baseball, you have the outfield seating, like the standing room only seating. Like, I'm not a shot at Mississippi State, but like every every Super Bulldog weekend that Ole Miss is in Oxford, it's like 16,000 people showed up here. It's like, okay, there could be 12 or it could be 20, and no one's the wiser. No one's going out there and counting that. So I don't actually put a ton of stock in the attendance numbers because you could just make it up. I mean, look, if State was like, look, we had 30,000 people here on Saturday. It's like, well – that doesn't seem like that, that, you know, just logistically, can you actually squeeze that many people in there? But you can pretty much just ballpark. I guess you could use Eli Manning football statistics or Dak Prescott football statistics and just make up a number. But like, I don't know how much legitimacy I put into actual crowd numbers, but it did probably what this like season has taught me so far. And, you know, if you have another year and a half of it, it maybe changes. But to me, what I've learned from this is, like, yes, when they're not good, the vibe's different and maybe the crowd's a little lighter, but you're never going to enter like the last year of Kermit Davis type thing where no one's showing up because the team's not very good. Because I think baseball is very much a social event. People like to get up there on the weekends. You're spending three, four hours outside. It's a very appealing, awesome environment. Not that the pavilion's not awesome. It's just different because you're outside. It's slower. It's part of what you do with your day versus like, I don't know, go to the game at 12 and be done at two. That's kind of what I've settled on so far is like, you're not going to see some massive dip barring three or four years of bad baseball. Well, I mean, you know, I think in some ways we, you know, it's, we're almost desensitized to it, being a really good product and being consistent like that and being a good way to, to do the ballpark. Cause I, I think, was it not you that was telling me about the, the business guy that just showed up for that Tuesday game against Southern Miss that like he had not been to a college game before. And then all of a sudden he's like, Holy hell. Yeah. I don't actually remember if I told this story on the podcast, but it was that early in the year we were at the Southern Miss, it was a Southern Miss Tuesday game. I met my dad uh, on the square after work. We met up, walked to the stadium and there was just some guy who was in on work from Chicago. He was a Purdue grad. He was actually going back. He was on a like one of those project bases where he's overseeing some project Tupelo. He's there for like a week and a half or two weeks at a time and comes back. But he wanted to come over and see a game. And he asked us for directions to the ticket booth so he could get like a standing room only ticket or the best way to approach that. And then my dad gets like a little shit eating grin on his face. And I was like, I know what's about to happen here. And he's like, why don't you come sit with us? And so my dad has tickets down in the dugout club or whatever. So we're walking in. And I'm like, I think this is about to blow this guy's mind. It's a Tuesday game, granted, midweek, but it's a great crowd. It was probably the largest blood. midweek in school history. I mean, it was a big crowd that night. That was a massive midweek crowd. And he's just like mind blown. He's like, this is unbelievable. Like I had heard about this. The irony in it is actually <laughs> Purdue was coming to Oxford that weekend, but he yeah. was going back to Chicago to go to the big 10 tournament that Purdue is in. And he's just, he was blown away by the atmosphere and all of that. And I think it's so foreign to people, like you said, who aren't in it and desensitized to it. He, he had a ton of fun. Um, he thought it was awesome and incredibly unique. And it's just, it was interesting getting an outsider's perspective from a random midweek game that no one here would write home about. 
where he was like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe so many people show up and watch this. And it's a ton of fun. He enjoyed the home runs. He liked the light show after the home run. It was just funny seeing an outsider's perspective that otherwise probably knew nothing about college baseball. I don't even think he knew who Purdue's coach was. He certainly did not make plans to stick around, but he enjoyed Swayze. Yeah, you know, it's a lot like when those four seeds from the Northeast come in for the regionals, you know, and they they, they're never in front of people and they go, oh, my God. And you got the players and the players' parents out drinking and celebrating with the fans and doing the whole deal even after they get eliminated. I mean, that even happened, I guess, in the the regional final in 14. Like, I remember a lot of the Washington parents had hung around in the outfield and were all kind of yucking it up and doing that even as the Huskies were were giving the Rebels a a hell of a, a series there in those two games that Ole Miss won. I, and there were Georgia Tech was there too, and Washington became kind of the darlings. I think there was a group that came back for like a football game or something that yeah. fall that I remember seeing. But I was, I was in college at that point. That was the last year before I started like covering baseball and getting into media. I swear to God, don't quote me on this, but I swear there was a Georgia Tech player parent who like went out in the uh, right field and started playing like drinking games and stuff. So like they they had the, a good time themselves as well. Um, they don't get those kind of crowds in Atlanta, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I think that was right. I was kind of thinking back to that. I think that's that that's true. My only gripe right now, um, as as I watch obviously a lot of games at Swayze's, and look, it was a good idea. Um, I have no issue with it getting implemented. It was fun for a long time. I know they cut it back to once a week. They need to get rid of the solo cups. It's time. It's time to pull the plug and put them to pasture. I remember I remember being I remember going my first game back since I moved to Dallas and it was right when the COVID restrictions ended um, in 2021. I think that was that Kumar rocker game where Ole Miss won that night. And I don't remember they were still doing it three times a weekend or they'd cut it back to one. But I remember one of those games that weekend, the solo cup races happened. And I was like, this is still going on. There's probably a reason they cut it to one, but at what point is that run its course? Why don't we let yellow win and then just find a new promo? It's time to let yellow win and and let that ride off into the sunset and cut the cord and be done with it right there. And like I like I said, I get it's not for me. I get I see a ton of games at Swayze and I'm the one watching it over and over and over and over again. I I, I get that, but it's just sort of the same thing every time. Like I, I mean, and now look, maybe the sausage races or the president races or wherever across the country is doing similar things. I don't know what they're doing in Milwaukee and Washington and all those places for these deals, but. Yeah, I just I I would be very intrigued by anything different and to find some some new shtick as we as we move into 2024. Is that sponsored by anything? And again, I know you said you go to a bunch of games and I get it, it's not really for us, but is anyone in 2023 going and being like, I cannot wait for these cup races? Yeah, like do the kids like the cups is the question. Like they do mascots or you know, land sharks or bears or rebels or tigers or whatever. Do they like the cups? And I don't know. I have no clue. Well, that could be a new one. You could do the last mascots of the last Ooh. two decades and race them. But like, is the solo cup a kid friendly thing? Because there's a certain implication about what's in said cup. <laughs> yeah, probably not marketing those as stuffed animals. Oh, you should. I mean, they're like stuffed things, but you should, shouldn't you? They should. They should sell those. Well, I mean, what would you do stuff if like Carly Ann like went to show and tell on Monday at school? It was like I saw the solo cup races this weekend. Like a teacher who didn't know about it, like you did what now? What are your parents up to? What are they into? Like you could find another way, I guess, to make it interesting. But yeah, I just I don't know if you could market solo cups to the. Uh, that is a good point. If you said that, if, if somebody had no comprehension of Swayze or baseball at all, and you said, "Yeah, we did the solo cup races," you would think they were playing flip cup. Yeah, 
which not with water, like you, you, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, like, like like real flip cup. Yeah, I, so like I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Probably time for a new promo. I just don't know what it is. And then the volunteers, like the what if you get if you're a volunteer and run the race and you draw yellow cup, is it just like well this wasn't worth my time? I think you're onto something. I mean, maybe that's the answer. You get the bear and the land shark and the rebel, and you race them. See how it goes. Yeah, like, could you mask. get the Colonel Rebel in 2023? Maybe you do the bear and the bear and the Well, I mean, the bear it. got into the transfer portal. He's at Lenore Ryan now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, the costume's at Lenore Ryan. I'm glad he landed on his feet. It was not well yeah, received yeah. here, but maybe that's what He dropped down to a lower level, but he's still there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You could do the bear, the shark, and Juice Kiffin. I don't know if that, but I'd love to see someone running the Colonel Reb and see the reaction to that. That uh, Kemp Alderman making a public appearance at Style Assembly on the Square in Oxford on Mother's Day, May 14th from 1 to 3. Stop by to hang out with Kemp, get autographs, take pictures, ask questions, and a personal one-on-one setting. It's all free. There will also be a limited number of posters available for him to sign if you do not want to bring your own merchandise. Speaking of Mother's Day, it's just around the corner. Let the ladies at Style Assembly help you find mom the perfect gift, whether it be clothing, jewelry, shoes, purses, sunglasses, or a gift card. They simplify the process with wish lists. Just have mom fill out a list at the store over the phone. And the team will keep it on file. So you have to do is stop by, choose something off the list. You get the exact gifts she wants down to the correct colors and sizes. They'll gift wrap it for free. It is great for Mother's Day, and they ship straight to your door if you do not live in Oxford. So stop by the store on the square, 203 North Lamar, next to Blind Pig. Give them a call at 662-638-3163 or DM at Shop Style Assembly on social media to place an order. Walk-On Sports Bistro puts everything they've got into bringing you game day with a taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering, made-from-scratch Louisiana cuisine. Po'boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, plus fan favorites like juicy burgers. Fresh salads all in front of 70-plus TVs, 40-plus ice-cold beers on tap. You can also order online at walkons.com or on the convenient Walk-Ons app. Check them out, especially in Oxford or uh, Ridgeland today. The College Corner is your one-stop rebel shop. Two locations in the Jackson area in Ridgeland. It's next to Fleet Feet and Flowood. It's next to Half Shell. If you don't live in Jackson, it's okay. Go to collegecornerstore.com. Plus, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram, the largest selection of Rebel gear in central Mississippi. The uh, warm weather is coming. At least that's what they promise. And uh, when it does, you want to make sure that AC is ready to roll. Get in touch with Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Different names. Same great people. Same great products and services. If you live in Oxford, Batesville, Tupelo, or the surrounding area, call Comer. 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, or the surrounding area, call Southern, 662-429-4429. A-Stock is a Nashville-based online retail company with the mission to provide customers the power to name their price. All items start at just $1. That's right. Every item starts at just $1, no matter what the retail value may be. So shop now at astock.bid. That's A-S-T-O-C-K dot B-I-D. Or download their app. Name your price on thousands of items from big-name retailers. A-Stock has multiple locations around Nashville as well as Memphis, Selma, Indiana, and more uh, coming soon that offer local pickups, so don't miss out. And we're brought to you by Solutions Rx. It's a probiotic multivitamin supplement company created by Ole Miss Pharmacy alum Chris Cornelison. It's pharmaceutical-grade, manufactured right here inside the U.S. under the highest standards based out of Iuka, Mississippi. They've got prescription support. They also have all sorts of supplements, vitamins, things to help you stay healthier over the long term. It's available in local independent pharmacies across the continental U.S., including all across Mississippi, are on their website, solutionsrx.com. 
Type in the promo code OEP at checkout. Get 10% off your first order. And it's graduation season. Dead Soxy has your favorite grad's feet covered. Every journey begins with the first step. So make it count and gift your grad premium Dead Soxy socks. Take advantage of 30% off savings or gift a sock subscription that will keep them fresh as they step into their new adventure in style. So visit deadsoxy.com. Use the promo code REBELGROVE for 30% off savings at checkout to style up your favorite new grad. Congratulations to the class of 2023 from Dead Soxy. And as always, stay Soxy. Spring is here and it's time to refresh your outdoor spaces. Heavenly Sunshine Property Services, your go-to for professional power washing, from your home's exterior and sidewalks to your deck and patio, the team has experience and equipment to get the job done right. Their advanced power washing techniques and attention to detail that remove dirt, grime, and mildew to reveal a fresh and clean surface. Heavenly Sunshine Property Services has been serving the Mid-South for over four decades. Full-service commercial and residential property maintenance includes power washing, soft wash, roof applications, facade cleaning, and window cleaning. So contact them today to get ready for a brighter, cleaner outdoor living space. Visit their website heavenlysunshine.com or give Sandy a call at 662-342-1203 to book your free estimate today. Use the code MPW10 for a 10% discount. Um, I know we're just shooting the crap at this moment from a news standpoint. Uh, I don't really know what to do here. Just full transparency. Um, to Neil's credit, Neil got the initial tip that uh, Hunter Elliott had had some sort of elbow procedure on uh, on Wednesday. I have reached out to Ole Miss for comment, for clarification, for official confirmation, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's been about two and a half hours as we're recording right now. I've received nothing back from them at all. Um, I've had a couple of people tell me that they also had heard the same thing regarding Hunter. But I'm in a little bit of a weird spot because while I think I know the procedure that he either had or was having or is having or however you want to put that, again, the, our initial thing we heard from sources was that it happened today, but I cannot confirm or verify that as of 742 here on this uh, th- this Wednesday evening. Um, it's hard for me to go into prognosis or what that means looking forward because I simply don't want to be wrong and, and I don't have it ironclad enough to do that. So from a news value standpoint, look, we knew that Hunter Elliott was shut down. We knew that the odds of him pitching again this, again this season were incredibly small. Um, once Mike put out that statement to me last week and he didn't pitch against Georgia and they were going to go see doctors again, Mike said on Tuesday when Ole Miss was playing Little Rock or right after the game against Little Rock that he was at the doctor at that moment. He was still with them at that time. And then uh, we heard this today. So none of this is a surprise. Either way, um, some type of procedure was coming, and he was not going to help anymore in 2023 as Hunter's trying to get healthy for next season and for the draft and for his his career in baseball that definitely um, has a chance to, to go a long way, um, moves into next season. So that's kind of where we are out there. Again, I'm not trying to bury leads, not trying to do anything in this thing, because, look, there could be something on the board by the time you guys hear this podcast, it's going to sound weird, but that's where we are is that this is actually happening prior to me having any further confirmation. And look, there's, there's, there's the possibility here that we don't get any confirmation from Mike prior to after tomorrow night's game against Missouri. Um, That is at least possible. I would expect something tonight or tomorrow prior to that. Um, Typically Ole Miss does get back with me in some, some manner of timely fashion as in just to, you know, correct or clarify or uh, confirm whatever the uh, the report is. So that's where we are. Um, we all know Hunter Elliott was going to have something done, and it seems like that may have happened again. This is May 3rd, 744. 
don't have enough to report it, but at the same time, I felt weird not talking about it at all because that would be strange at this point. You're hoping for some type of repair, not reconstruction, because that would give him a chance to not miss the bulk of 2024. Um, that's what we talked about on the board a couple weeks ago when he first, or actually about a month ago when he first got hurt, and then when he had uh, when he came back for LSU, but then left the game after 49 pitches and didn't look right, didn't feel right, is that there is a difference between a reconstruction and a repair and that you're hoping for the latter in this. So we'll see. Whatever it is, uh, we'll put it on rebelgrove.com. But, again, not trying to mislead you. It's just sort of where we are here is this thing. Uh, this thing moves forward. And, you know, Brian, I've talked about this a little bit on this show um, with Neil some days. It, it, it's it's getting fascinating because we're close to Ole Miss being kind of mathematically eliminated from NCAA tournament consideration. I mean, you look at where they are right now. You're talking – unless you think they're going to be the anomaly of all anomalies when it comes to an selection process, uh, it's, it's a team that's got to win eight of its last nine games to have any type of shot here. Um, only one team ever has won fewer than 13 league games since the field expanded to 64 and made the NCAA tournament. That was Mississippi State in uh, 2006. They went 12 and 17, had a rain out or a tie or something for their other games. So if Ole Miss has to get to 13, that's eight wins in nine games. That's a sweep, a sweep, and two out of three in whatever order that looks like between Missouri, Auburn, and Alabama, or they win the SEC tournament. I guess there is a, there is that too. But um, because that's an automatic bid. But point being, you understand where they are from a record-wise standpoint right now. You know where it kind of sits. You know what they're looking at. And because of the injuries, there will be a very easy answer that is not necessarily wrong of, hey, what happened? And you start looking at what happened. You start looking at, frankly, even if they do turn around a little bit, what happened to get here? Because this is two years in a row where through this weekend, it's been fairly bad baseball. I mean, Ole Miss through this weekend a year ago was seven and fourteen. Now look, they won the national title. They turned it around. They finished fourteen and sixteen, and fourteen and sixteen is what gets written down, and that's what counts. You don't get judged on the first 15, 18, 21 games, whatever that looks like, completely. Um, but in saying that, through the first seven weeks of the SEC season, two years in a row, that's five and sixteen and seven and fourteen. So that's 12 and 30. Have that right? Yeah, 12 and 30. And SEC play over those uh over those two seasons. Mallets is out, Maddox has been out, has been out, Elliott is out. And any team that loses their ace and their closer, it's gonna look completely different. And you know you got a lot of freshman pitching. There's a lot of stuff there. But it's it is going to show you sort of where this staff is, where this NIL situation is, sort of where this program is on not what they say, because it's easy to go, hey, the pitching is what caused this problem, all these injuries, look at what happened. You had this guy hurt and this guy hurt, and had that not happened. But what happens beyond that? What what goes into fixing this? The offense hasn't been good enough. There's been a lot of things that haven't been good enough beyond simply the pitching injuries for this season. And frankly, Brian, we're getting to a point where pitching injuries almost have to be included in the recipe for the season. You look around the league, everybody's got pitching injuries. I mean, LSU has been hammered by pitching injuries. You got Chase Shore. You got another bullpen guy who I can't remember his name. It's been out for a while. And you've got Grant Taylor, their number two starter, who was going to be a dude there in that in that rotation that he's been out for the year with Tommy John. Everybody's been hit. I mean, Georgia last week didn't have its main arm against Ole Miss. 
you kind of just got to plan for that. When it's happening to everybody, it's almost more of an anomaly when you get through a season without it adversely affecting you, kind of like Ole Miss last season versus it hitting you. That really can't be an excuse, and it's made it where depth is at a complete premium, and you have to do everything you can do, whether that's financially, whether that's roster spots, whether that's recruits that you keep or don't keep. You've got to get as many dudes that you can find that can play SEC baseball filling that 35-man roster when February hits every year. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it from surely a pitching injury standpoint, I mean, LSU, as you mentioned, lost Chase Shores. They lost the Ackenhausen kid, and then Garrett Edwards is the main one that I think they considered at least a borderline. Oh, Garrett Edwards, that's right, yeah, yeah. You know, a a linchpin in their bullpen, and then you look at the Ole Miss injuries coming into the year, it's like, all right, well, who did they lose? They lost... Uh, Josh Mallett, who was never going to pitch this year because Tommy Johnny went under, underwent surgery in the fall. And then Riley Maddox, you figured, would be out for most of this year and maybe come back later in the year. But I don't think anyone was necessarily banking on it. And LSU hasn't really missed a beat. They're still atop the SEC West, and they are probably going to be a national seed, and it's all fine. Now, those three roles or two injuries is not equal to Ole Miss losing those two guys and then your Friday guy and Hunter Elliott on a staff that was already going to be pretty thin from a pitching standpoint. But I think it brings in the point of when you try to contextualize what this season is and what it means is it reached a point, and I don't know when this point happened, but when you got X amount of games under 500 in SEC play, that it's not just the injuries. Look, if they were, what, they're 5 and 16 at this point, if they were 8 and 13 is that, I guess that's that what that would be like, I, I get be it. They're, they're hanging on, but they're trying and they just don't have enough dudes to win enough games to be in the mix. But you know, they were three and 15 coming into the year, I coming into the last weekend. And so you can't just attribute that to injuries. And like, I guess I'll like present it this way. Don't you think if there's any sort of significance to these final nine games, it's in hindsight, it'll probably change how the seasons remember because Let's just say they go, they're five and 16. They go seven and 23 in SEC play. That would be Mike's worst mark ever by far, right? I mean, that's by not six something... games. 13 and 17 is his worst year. That's honestly very impressive. Uh, as we like, <laughs> it is. weird thing to think. Yeah, that's <laughs> wow. That's impressive. <laughs> but like, it's, it's, that's a record where you like, okay, you can't just chalk that up to injuries. It's a large portion of it. But if they, rebound and let's just say they got nine games left and they tear through them at seven and two and they're 12 and 18 and they're never really in the NCAA tournament conversation, but Hey, they played better baseball. And like you said, at the end of the year, 12 and 18, so it's going in the record books. Then you can sit there and kind of say, okay, well, if they had been fully healthy, well, they may be underachieved a little bit. They'd have been an NCAA tournament team, maybe a borderline host. I don't know. And you know, you can chalk that up to injuries, but if you bottom out or continue this bottoming out, however you want to phrase it, at 7 and 23, then it's not just an injury thing. And I think we're going to have the conversation as the offseason creeps up closer and closer by the day of like where the program is and how it goes from here and the changing landscape of college baseball and college athletics in general. But I guess my point in all of that is just like the last nine games will probably determine like what was the actual root cause of this season, right? Because if it's somewhat competitive, it's probably because of injuries. If it's seven and 23, you're going to leave the door open to, well, this seems like a lot more than that. It, it's a fascinating time in a couple of ways with it because look, base, college baseball is a very short season. I know it's 56 regular season games, but that's, 
barely less than a third of a pro season of a major league baseball season. You know, in the pros, you can have pretty long stretches of bad baseball and still kind of find it and stay in and get to 500. And you've got time to have streaks in a lot of different directions in pro baseball. College baseball is about getting hot and just kind of staying hot for 50, 60, 70 games. It's it's not a long year, even counting the postseason. And, and the reason I say that is once things kind of get downhill on you where it's struggling, sometimes it's hard to bring it back. You, you sort of just lose it because there's not really a time to reset. There's not that off week where you go on the road trip knowing you got some schedule losses in there and you fix it kind of the way you do in pros a little bit. Um, so – that's part of it. I think that you can over-exaggerate some of what's going on, just like you can over-exaggerate a team that gets really hot for five or six weeks and, and looks like world beaters and thinking, oh, the program's turned when really it hasn't. They just had five or six really, really hot weeks. Um, but where I'm going with that is, you look around the league, and I wrote about this on Friday last week, is it is Mike's credit that 13-17 and 17 is his worst record, and he's even only done that once. They've been 14 and 16 or better in every other regular season under Mike Bianco. I mean, it's the damnedest stat from a consistency. 13 and 17, is that 2011? So they were 14 and 16 in 2017 and didn't get in? That is correct. Okay. Man, that really is remarkable. But anyway, continue. Yeah, about half the teams get in at 14 and 16. It's like seven of the last 15, something like that. Um, because it's really RPI dependent at that time. My point being, Mike has not laid one of these eggs, but there have been these eggs laid around the conference by really, really good teams. I mean, the one that I talk about all the time is Arkansas. In 2016, Arkansas went seven and twenty-three. Came out of nowhere. Dave Van Horn had won a ton of games. They were 17 and 12 the year before in 2015. Had the big blip in 2016 where they sucked. Um, you might have even gone to that series up in uh Fayetteville, Ole Miss beat them when James McArthur had the big night um, up there. I was there. I was back at Double Decker by Saturday afternoon because of the weather. Remember, it was Thursday, double header Friday, and the series is over, I believe, on Friday night, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So since then, though, they go seven and twenty-three and sixteen. They've won at least eighteen conference games in every season since then, every year. So it legitimately was a one-year blip at that point. Um. This is not the same thing because they didn't completely bottom out. But LSU went 13 and 17 in 2011 um, after a 14 win 2010 when they kind of had a two year rough spot. Then they won 19 games or more in five of the next six seasons in conference play. Auburn went 20 and 10 in 2021, but the year before and the year after made the College World Series. So they went College World Series, 10 and 20 College World Series, not counting 2020 with the COVID year. So 19 and then 22 at that point. South Carolina, they went 8-22 and 22 in 2019, but won 17 games in 2018 and then 16 in 2021. A year ago, they went 13-17, and 17 and they had all sorts of injuries, and they were all whatever. They went into last weekend 13-4. and four. Like, it just kind of happened. Worst of first 2015 to 2016, right? They had a horrible 2015. They went 8-22 and, and 15, 21-9 and, and 16. Quite the correction. Yeah, 8 and 22, 21 and 9. My point being, a lot of times, look, we do it too. I'm, I'm not criticizing fans. Everybody gets bogged down in the team they cover and they see their awards and they go, oh, God, this is amazing. Well, I mean, it is, but it happens everywhere to some point. But I, here's the deal I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying that it's fine, that everything's going to turn around. 
I'm saying that when that happens, you learn something from it. I mentioned this on the podcast last week. And what Ole Miss for sure has to learn, and this dovetails into a couple different thoughts, is they have to learn that you can't have dead weight on the roster. And that's not talking about anybody specifically, but it's that when you recruit kids, if they get to be seniors and they cannot help you at an SEC level, and frankly help you probably in the first two years, you you have to cut them. Because it's just where the SEC is today, and every other program is cutting kids the same way. So when you don't, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. It's also being very, very, very um, good in the portal. It's figuring out NIL. It's coaches having to go out and find their own their own um, portal money in, in some extent standpoints. You got to maximize what you can get from other schools. You know, you th- there is no honor left in this. Um, a, a kid that is getting into the portal that's looking for a, a high major opportunity, an SEC opportunity, maybe you go, oh, man, that's me taking the kid from so-and-so and so-and-so. We're kind of friends or we're tied or like that guy. Well, you're not helping that guy out because that guy, that kid is going to go somewhere. He's just not coming to you. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't take him, he's going to go to Arkansas or Florida or Vanderbilt or whatever. So it, it, it's where we don't know. I think that's what I'm saying here is that you have to learn something when these seasons happen. You can't simply chalk them up to bad luck, but bad luck is typically included in them as well. It takes a couple of different things to avalanche into really, really bad seasons if that's where Ole Miss finishes up here. And when I when I say any bad season, I mean, look, let's be honest, even if they win two out of three these last three weekends, that's still eleven and nineteen. That's still a really, really bad season. Um We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. 
That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We don't know, though, what it looks like because we're in this new NIL, this new portal world for college baseball to where I think we're all watching it together to see where Ole Miss sort of fits. I mean, profile-wise, they should fit very high. They have a very motivated, energetic fan base that the Grove Collective hit $10 million in it over the fall, which means they're willing to give money for, for good products. They're coming off a national title season. They have a long history of winning. They have a long history of being one of the top three or four attendance programs in the country. Everything points toward having money. But do you get the Grove Collective set up? Do you get the money necessary to match you know, even take LSU out because they're being ridiculous with Marucci and the amount of money they're spending and all that stuff. Florida, Tennessee, maybe Texas A&M, Texas, whoever's spending money here, where does this sort of go? And then how do you manage those salary caps and those kind of things moving forward? So I think we're in unprecedented territory where it's very possible this is just a one-year deal and Ole Miss is completely fine in 2024 and they win a lot of baseball games and you know, Grayson Saunier is the kid as a sophomore that we think he can be. And JT Quinn moves into a really, really solid starter. He's done a nice job as a freshman. And Sam Takoyan takes a step. And this guy does this. I think Will Furness is going to be an all-SEC type player before he's done. There's dues. It makes sense. But they're losing a ton, which means you've got to fix that with something. And the only way to fix it is to compete nationally for transfers and to make sure that the guys coming in are either impact or you don't take them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack in all of that. And real quick, just before we get to like the NIL part, I think I thought it was interesting. You went through most of the SEC West programs. I know you mentioned South Carolina in there too, about how like the they had the blip on the radar and then they turned it around. And at some point in there, you mentioned LSU went 13 and 17 after a year where they went 14 and 16. And for that program, that's a 11 and 19, 10 and 20 yeah. type of blip. Those psychos over there just won't accept <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Where with Ole Misses, like from an Ole Miss standpoint, it's interesting because we just talked about how Mike's worst year is 13 and 17 in the SEC, which is a remarkable place to be. But this year is coming on the heels where last year, had they not won the whole thing, and I hate trying to do this because people think you're minimizing the national title, and I'm not, but just it from a regular season standpoint. It was not good. Take the Mike hot seat away. Take the fact that he was, you know, coaching for his job away in 2022. That would not have been palatable. That would have been a negative mark on his overall Ole Miss resume. And it's followed up by this year. You just have this crazy hot six weeks in between where they won a national title. And that should not or will not ever be like taken away from them or discounted or not considered. But it's weird because Mike's never really had back-to-back one of these, and he has. There's just this looming national title in the middle. And so it's almost like in some ways the disappointing year was last year until they got to the final three weeks of the regular season and the postseason. So in a way, it feels like two in a row, despite you having to wipe everything away by winning a national title in between those two years. So like if they had gone – 19 and 11 last year and won the whole thing the conversation is probably completely different about what the way we're having it this year and the way it's contextualized but that didn't really happen and so it's very hard to gauge like what any of this actually means you know what i mean like it's 
this almost feels like a two-year blip if you're just looking at it from a strictly regular season standpoint, right? And you, you're you not allowed to do that because of what they did in the postseason. But this is back-to-back really bad regular seasons, and I just don't really know how to put that into context. And so I guess that gets into your other piece of the question is – College sports in general, the landscape is changing, but in college baseball is no different with this NIL piece of it. And I mean, you've covered Mike basically from the beginning of his career till this point, not literally the beginning. I don't want to date you too much, but for the better part of it, you were the dean on the beat. Uh, You got your own seat, which is nice up there in the press box. But He's always been about adapting. There was the bunting, not embracing analytics, and then he stopped bunting. And then now the greatest thing ever is when they outlaw the shift in Major League Baseball, he starts shifting, and he's embraced analytics, and he's adapted. And it's weird coming off a national title, and the national title in some ways probably delayed this conversation, but as that national title happened, it coincided with pretty seismic shift in how this whole college baseball recruiting thing is done. And so I guess the next chapter of the Mike Bianco era at Ole Miss is can he adapt again, right? Baseball people are just creatures of habit, right? Mike's a great recruiter. I imagine he's recruited pretty much the same way for a long time. I think the way he's coached kids has definitely changed. You've documented that very well. You've talked to him about that a couple of times, which I found very interesting. But I imagine the way he's recruited has largely been pretty similar because, hell, it's worked. It's been awesome. But now I think he's about to be he's about to be forced to change that to some degree. Um, you know, we talk we talked about this on the phone the other night, and like some of this is hard to get into because we don't know what actually happens. But it's like the gentleman's agreement that's been in college baseball for so long. When a kid commits, no one his recruitment's done. No one's in there trying to slide in the back door last minute. There's no flips. There's no Yahtzees and things like that in college baseball recruiting. Where that's not just that's just really not the world that anyone lives in now. And it's not really even just recruiting flips. It's getting a kid to a school and he performs awesome. And then he goes in and gets recruited by another school because they can offer a little bit more in NIL and things like that. And I feel like that's an entirely new world to Mike. And I have no reason to believe that he won't adapt because he's lasted so long at Ole Miss. He's one of the greatest college baseball coaches of all time, whether people want to recognize it as such. But in some areas, it seems like he's been maybe slower than people would like to to adapt in some areas. Maybe that's an unfair criticism, but he just reached the peak of his career, and now he's immediately going to be forced to adapt again. And I'm very fascinated to see how that plays out because it's not like he has a choice. It's not like he can choose, no, we're going to keep doing it the way we've always been doing it, and this is just a fad or whatever This is the way things are going, and this is the reality that he lives in now. So he's going to have to change how well does he do that. And it's nothing that you see on the field on a weekly basis. It's not stop bunting. It's not maybe incorporate some shifting or analytics or whatever you want to get into. It's how you construct your roster and construct your program, which, in my opinion, can if you don't adapt, it can crumble a hell of a lot quicker than if you're just an old-fashioned guy that bunts and stuff. And so I'm very fascinated to see how that plays out. But would you not agree with the assessment that he has to change? And I guess that has to start now. I imagine it's already started. Mike doesn't have his head in the sand. He's very acutely aware of the environment that he lives in. But he's about to have to make a pretty significant pivot in how he builds his program and how he builds a roster on a yearly basis. 
And how quickly he's able to find success with that adaptation, I guess, is going to tell the last chapter of his story at Ole Miss. Is that fair? Tell you about the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. If you're ready for the Grove, join them at Vaught Hemingway Stadium this fall for the 2023 football season. You can order tickets now to participate in the seat selection process. To explore seating options, visit OleMissTix.com or call them at 662-915-7159 today to help lock the vault. Again, that's OleMissTix.com, 662-915-7159. Game Changer patches are the only two-patch system available in the market to stop hangovers before they start. The warm-up patch is used before or while you drink. The overtime patch used after you've been drinking to recover while you sleep. The all-natural ingredients will keep you in the game and ready for your next play. So go to GameChangerPatch.com, promo code REBELGROVE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase. ACS is owned by my friend Clay McNutt in Baldwin, Mississippi. It's a complete electrical control system solution provider and a Rockwell automation Recognized system integrator. It's got a full-time dedicated emergency service and troubleshooting staff, a UL508A panel shop, and much, much more. To learn more, go to acsllcms.com or call 662-601-4381. We're also brought to you by Lamons Fine Jewelry. Lamons at 1126 North Lamar Boulevard in Oxford. They've been serving the Oxford area for three quarters of a century. Engagement rings, wedding rings, watches, pearls, fashion jewelry, gifts, and more. They're the gold standard in fine jewelry. Visit them at LamonsFineJewelry.com or uh, call them at 662-234-2777. And we're brought to you by Pinnacle. Pinnacle based in Madison, Mississippi. They provide detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much, much more. At Pinnacle, investing is treated like a commodity and decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's mypinwealth.com. That's M-Y-P-I-N-N wealth.com. John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis is the guy to go to if you are uh, looking to plan a trip uh, that creates a lifetime of unique memories just get in touch with john give him some parameters give him a budget he's going to give you options that you're probably just not going to find on your own he might be able to find some uh, special deals and such that you're not aware of 901-494-3387 or send him an email j edwards at regency travel.net podcast is brought to you by gnm pharmacy 662-236-2222 they also deliver a Locally in the Oxford area, and they offer MedSync. Fee prescriptions the same day each month and take care of you. One call, they take care of the rest to transfer your medications, whether it be Holly Springs with Tyson Drugs or GNM here in Oxford. Make them your new pharmacy for all your pharmaceutical needs. Again, that is 662-236-2222. You know, there's this couple parts of that. Is the first one... (laughs) They were harmed. I mean, look, you win the title. That's why you play. I mean, you would. You, 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 Georgia is happy with the on-field title, not the recruiting national championship. However, in saying that, if we're being really comprehensive, they were harmed by being in Omaha so long during the height of the portal period last year because they weren't recruiting in the transfer portal and having visits and all that stuff, and they were way behind. So in some ways, you'll see really where Ole Miss stands in the whole complexity of it this season when they're not doing that. They're not caught as off guard. I think the prices probably shocked them a little bit. And look, they shocked most teams in the country. That's not that's not some shot at Ole Miss. But here's the thing about Mike, and it's why I sort of laugh as you were talking because it's been the majority of my career covering him is this Mike is the perfect 
he gives you whatever argument you want to have. The people that really want to support Mike and go, no, everything's great, gives you a hell of an argument. And the people that go, yeah, but, gives you a hell of an argument. And that's sort of been his legacy in a lot of ways throughout his career from a conversational standpoint. You know, for years, it was, look how many times he gets in the tournament. Look how many times they're 13 and 17 or better, 14 and 16 or better. He just wins. He's always in it. They they never have that crap season where they fall off the table. It doesn't happen. They host regionals. Yeah, but they don't get to the College World Series. Yeah, it's everything but. That's the point. You know, we have that just buttonheads back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all the time. Well, it's the same thing now because what you're saying is exactly right. And it's all of it. You get credit for the national title, and you also really struggle during the regular season. It's also – it's easy to sort of forget how they struggled because of, one, the story that I wrote a book about, but also they were number one in the country prior to that. You know what I mean? They they yeah. they were at the pinnacle. It wasn't like it was a crappy season and nobody knew about them and suddenly got hot. They were number one in the country um, right before that, that streak happened. But my point is – that doesn't change the fact that they're 12 and 30 in the first seven weeks of two straight SEC seasons. Now, that's an arbitrary number. I'm pulling out a number that makes it as bad as it can look. But that is where we are to this point of the season and then to this point of last season is 12 and 30. They've lost a lot of home games over the last two years. They've struggled at home, a place where Ole Miss typically wins on Friday nights and wins series. It's Swayze. They had, they had done a great job of defending turf. So, yes, you have to recognize that those are potential issues and figure out how that happens because, look, Ole Miss's path last year is not the easiest path. The path is to win at least 17 regular season baseball games in the SEC, host regionals, play at home, and try to advance to the College World Series out of your own ballpark. That's the easy way to do it. That is the easier way to do it. That is your goal in the SEC is to win at least 17 conference games and try to host a regional. But in saying that, I get where they are last right now. I get that this season has sucked. Mike's last five years, when you talk about what actually matters, which is how the season ends and where they are going into the postseason and what he's put together, one or the other. So if you want to do Pollyanna, the last five seasons, College World Series, national champions. They have a trophy that's not going away. A lot of teams don't. They have a title. NCAA Super Regional, lost in game three against Arizona, but they were in a Super. 2020, they were probably the best team in the country when the season got canceled. They had lost one time. They had won 17 games in a row. Sorry, 16 games in a row. They were red hot. They were really, really good. Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy were going to win a lot of baseball games. 2019, NCAA Super Regional. Back in a Super Regional. Back one of the final 16 teams in the country. Lost game three against Arkansas in Fayetteville, which is an incredibly hard place to play. And then 2018, it was Black Monday. It was Tennessee Tech. It was the worst day in maybe program history. I think that is arguable, um, depending on how you want to phrase it, because of what was on the table had you just beat an OVC team. But they were the number four, number five national seed that season. They had a really good regular season. They were a dang good baseball team. So that's five years of a lot of success in some way, depending on how you want to pick at it. It's also not wrong that they've struggled in the regular season for two years in a row. So it's it's back to where this is. I feel like I'm just having a different chapter of the same conversation that I've had for, I don't know, more than a decade in some different ways. And it's it's exhausting. I mean, if you're honest, it, it's kind of exhausting in a way. But it put, tells you that that's just sort of where Ole Miss is right now. And it's up to Mike, as you said, to completely adapt. I mean, I think he is probably doing that. I think he understands what's necessary. But he 100% has to adapt and has to 
sort of match these other SEC teams that are going crazy with baseball NIL right now. And you may have brought up a good point at the beginning of that, too, of them being hurt by being in the postseason for so long. And this sounds stupid, but winning the national title and being the last team standing. And you saw this with the NCAA basketball tournament this year. Like, I don't know if this is a small thing, but I don't know if anyone noticed, but like you saw college basketball coaches start kind of leaking quotes and leaking little anecdotes to like Jeff Goodman or Jeff Borzello and some of those guys that cover it that are like, this kind of sucks. We're in the NCAA tournament. We're game pointing for a round of 32 game and the bad teams are getting a leg up on getting dudes out of the portal, which again, that's conversation for another day, but just how screwed up this NIL world we is we live in without any sort of guardrails. But it's the reality in the situation which you live in. And so you can't be knocked. They can't really be knocked for that last year because that's not really fair to them. But in all likelihood, they're not going to be playing on the third week of June at this point this year or anything close to it. They're going to have that head start. So in some ways, it's kind of a perfect litmus test for, okay, like, can you adapt? You got plenty of time on your hands. You're not going to be playing postseason baseball. What do you do from that point? And I guess we'll find out, you know, Colin posed this question on uh, our Sunday show, and I didn't have an answer for him. He didn't have an answer either. He was just like, "What? Is, what is the NIL situation with Ole Miss? Um, do they have? Are they willing to commit resources to do what's necessary to get to put a winning product on the field in baseball? Or I say, put a winning product on the field. That's not totally fair. Get guys to reload rather than rebuild. Like, can they do that? I don't know, and I feel like that we'll probably get the answer to that question for the first time this year. Which brings up an interesting, like, kind of dynamic of. When the NIL thing happened, didn't you think it'd probably be a positive for Mike and Ole Miss baseball? I thought it might bridge the, not bridge the gap, but level the playing field a little bit with the Vanderbilts and the LSUs and the scholarship advantage programs of the world. And I don't know if I'm ready to go this far yet, but it doesn't seem like that's happened. If anything else, it's almost like a rich getting richer situation. If you just look at LSU, I know Florida spent a decent bit of money. Vanderbilt hasn't, but they still got a gajillion scholarship. So I guess that evens it out some. But I just, I guess I haven't seen in the very short amount of time we've had this NIL thing where it's been like, actually, this is a positive for non-scholarship advantage places. It, it still should be a positive for every fan base that really cares to the level that Ole Miss does. Yeah. I'm not ready to go there yet on it. It, it. It's a negative or it's just rich getting richer. I do think, I think you have to look at this over a three or four year period. Um, I think Vanderbilt does come back to the pack a little over this. Now look, they have a great reputation they have great education. Vanderbilt's not falling off the map, don't get me wrong, but they're not going to have the NIL money that, in theory, Arkansas, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss, those, those Mississippi State, those teams have, Texas A&M, Texas. Um, so I, I I agree with you. If you look at what happened last year, that's exactly sort of the the first step in, in coming to an agreement or coming to a, a realization on where this thing stands. But I just think one year is simply a snapshot. I think it was a weird year. I think everybody was still trying to figure out what this looks like, what this needs to look like, what this is going to look like. So show me this year. Show me next year. And then I think you give me three years, I'll be able to sort of put a better pin into who's doing what. Because, frankly, it also shows you a full cycle of when kids leave and how every roster has to turn over over a three-year period on where they are. Because, frankly, Ole Miss on paper didn't need a ton last year. Whereas this year they need a ton. So you see, okay, when they really have to have it, what does that look like different? Because look, I mean, we're we're sort of leaving out the fact that Ole Miss did pluck Nick Pogue from Florida that was going to be a weekend starter on this year's team, and he just signed some minor league contract like out of the nowhere that nobody expected. I mean, 
you put him here, it's not exactly fixing all their issues, but we're also not having the same conversation. That would have been a nice column to write is Ole Miss is not doing enough in NIL because they couldn't keep the kid from going to a major league uh, club. <laughs> um, that would have been a nice clickbait. Um, but it's fascinating from the standpoint of, you're right, this is going to be the ultimate kind of prove it off season of when you have to have it, do you have it? And what's interesting to me about all that is in this whole NIL world that we live in, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I'm, I'm admittedly speaking out of ignorance to some degree here, but this NIL thing, the Grove Collective, feels like a like when you donate to it, it feels like a bit of a slush fund. Like you know your money's going to Ole Miss Athletics, but it's not as cut and dry as I'm a big baseball fan, I'm a baseball donor. It almost feels like it's going to like one bank account or one trust fund and like how many of the three major kids, the three kids in the family, like what, what do they all see from it? And look, I'm not naive enough to think that like if someone puts a substantial amount of money down and they're a big basketball guy being like, I would like this to go to basketball. I get there's probably some sort of degree with that, but there's a degree of like vagueness and opaqueness to where like the funds go to when you donate to these collectives that like there's no guarantee that like they have X amount for baseball. And there's probably someone affiliated with the Grove collective that's sitting there being like, that doesn't, that that's not how it works at all. Okay, cool. I'm admitting, I have no idea how it works. I'm curious to find out, you know what I mean? Like how much of the Grove collective being healthy and having funds and stuff like that will ultimately affect baseball. There's no like set accounting to know that if that makes any sense at all, it's just like, how much can they, like how 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 can they fight for their share of the gigantic slush fund if that makes sense? And again, I know that's not exactly how it works, but it would be way easier to figure that out if you could just go look and say this is what they have for baseball, and it was that simple and that transparent. And that's no one's fault. That's just the nature of this crazy world. I think that's where they would like to get to. I mean, you can earmark money toward baseball and go, sure. hey, this is going to the sport, and that's how we're doing it, and they. You know, they had a bunch of donors last year that raised in that way, that they went, they put in an amount of money and that was the baseball budget. And then, you know, maybe they got more out of the main fund. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's maybe the biggest story of the entire NIL situation to me is how do the multiple sports all pull from the same pile and what does that look like and what do the percentages look like? Because I think there is some agreed upon levels of – percentages or amounts that do go to certain sports and they know this is what they have to deal with. But that's it's really coming full circle to what I said earlier ago. I think it's up to the staff um, because it's legal to do this. It's up to the basketball and the baseball staffs for sure to go rally its donors and its boosters to earmark money for those sports and to get the to get the cash to go out and buy players. And that, that's it's kind of what the full circle final final comment here on this is that Mike just – that's not his era. Mike's era is not, hey, let me go out and rally the funds to go buy the kid and pay him all this money. I mean – and look, this is a credit to him. Probably unsettling his stomach a little bit. Probably something he's not comfortable with. So, look, he's competitive. He's a winner. He might get very comfortable with it, but I do think that's a huge change, and it's it's the number one offseason storyline for me is just sort of how Mike adapts and adjusts to that. But did I tell you about Northeast Spark, N-E-S-P-A-R-C, service people across rural communities, two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze, the one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio, your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's nespark.com, 662-238-3159, phone service, pro controls, network security, a wireless mesh extender, and much more. So to get the best internet in Lafayette County, also parts of Union and Pontotoc counties, again, that's 662-238-3159. Oxford's uh, 
newest Greek restaurant on the square, Opa, is a great place for you to visit if you're coming up for um, graduation, for the last baseball series of the year, whatever the case may be. Stop by Opa. Uh, fabulous food, great craft libations, speaking of uh, drinks and more. It's there at Opa on the square in Oxford. Also stop at Rafters Music and Food. If you're looking for a place uh, this weekend to maybe watch the Derby or watch uh, some games or whatnot, just hang out, have a drink, have a burger. Stop by Rafters on the Square in Oxford as well. I'll have a mailbag up to you later today, probably much later today. It's brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. You can reach her at 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. We're brought to you by a Service Specialist Staffing and Recruiting Agency, They've been connecting great job opportunities to candidates since 1967. If you're on the job hunt, they can help you whether you're looking for an entry-level position or you're a seasoned professional. They've got opportunities across the board. And if your company is looking to hire quality, hard-to-find talent, service specialists can help you as well. Keep in mind that payment of service is solely contingent on if you decide to hire a candidate that they send. You have nothing to lose, so give Will, Sydney, or Kelsey a call at 662-832-5138 or check out their new and improved website, servicespecialistltd.com. Get the beautiful and healthy smile you deserve at Corinth Dental. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile using conservative, state-of-the-art procedures that will result in a beautiful, long-lasting smile. From routine checkups to advanced treatment, including implants and Invisalign, Corinth Dental is here to help you achieve your smile goals. So schedule your appointment today and take the first step towards a better version of yourself. It's CorinthDental.com. And we're brought to you by Southern Traditions Farm. It's a 68-acre, 32-stall, upscale equestrian training and boarding facility in Canton, Mississippi. Two sand rings, a grass ring, miles of wooded trails, so much offered at Southern Traditions, including horseback riding offerings, from beginner lessons to buying your first horse and competing at nationally recognized competitions and everything in between. Also, it's a great venue for events, um, re- reunions, uh, parties, that kind of thing. So get in touch with them on Facebook or Instagram at Southern Traditions Farm. Podcast is brought to you by Prime Shrimp, primeshrimp.com. Seven different flavors available for you. They are shipped directly to your door. Everything from the New Orleans style barbecue to the uh, signature, to great uh, versatile options that take care of you there from Prime Shrimp. And fewer than 10 minutes from freezer to plate, you can have dinner, you can have a great lunch, maybe a salad, or just them by themselves for a great snack. They have the uh, Simply Shrimp option for uh, kids, or if you like to season themselves, play a little bit of shelf, you can do that as well. So that's primeshrimp.com. They also have their two-pound bags of individually frozen shrimp, a lot like what's at the grocery store, except a higher-quality shrimp, from the New Orleans-based company. So code RG, use code RG, buy five pouches or more. And when you do that, you save 25% off on that with Prime Shrimp. So again, code RG, primeshrimp.com. Okay, question for you to follow up on that is, Mike is a very principled human being. Um, mm-hmm. Really, it's admirable in a lot of ways. Um, and he, with like, this kind of goes back to like, how do you change your recruiting tactics in terms of like, if a kid is committed somewhere else or a kid admits, basically does like, does he have the stomach to tamper? Because that's what, really what we're getting down to here. Everyone tampers. Um, You know, obviously he can't be like, yeah, hell yeah, we're going to get into tampering. We're going to tamper with everyone that would have the NCAA in their backyard very quickly. But how did Mike build the program? He went out and he still to this day does those speaking engagement for free because 
back when no one was really that invested in Ole Miss baseball, he went out and went and talked to everyone he could talk to and kind of built and he paid attention to the details that go into building what he built today in a way that you don't see in college athletics very often. And now it's almost like he's going to be tasked with doing a different version of that. You mentioned that not being as necessarily his forte, but now like, does he, will he be able to recognize, have the willingness and have the hunger is a bad word, but just be that desperate and that motivated this stage in your career to almost reset in a way and say, I kind of got to do this again, but from an NIL funding perspective, I know people are going to show up in the stands, but can I start getting into that mode again to build up NIL capital, which I'm very curious to figure out if he's going to do and how successful he is in doing that. And it's, it's fascinating because as you mentioned, that's not necessarily his forte, but some of the elements are that kind of root back to how he built the program. He's just going to have to do it in a different way, if that makes any sense. No, it's 100% right. I mean, I think that's the the muscle memory that he'll need in this. It's 100, it, it, It's exactly what he'll have to do. You know, the other part of Mike is, as I said, it's coming to the grips with some of these players. And if you really talk about amounts, they're making more than maybe his assistant coaches are making. And like being, okay, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, we talked about it on the big show this morning of the Liberty cornerback that just committed to Ole Miss in football, got offers of fifty to $150,000. He played two years at Liberty. I mean, it, it's it's just the price of poker being where it is today. It's, it, it's baffling for everybody, fans, administrators, coaches, players, frankly, but they're the ones benefiting from it. I mean, no, it, it's 100%. On Mike to do that. There's just so many levels that it really does. It uh, it kind of kind of kind of fascinates me. So I don't know. So, we'll uh, we'll see. You mentioned the earmark, like that you can't earmark money for like baseball yeah. and stuff like that. What's fascinating to me, and we'll never get these answers, is say just I'm I made it huge dental private equity. I just got it going on, and I'm just like I'd like to give like 600k to baseball. It's like all right, fine. I donated to Grove Collective, and that's earmarked for baseball. But then Ole Miss loses three defensive linemen to the portal. And it's like, oh, I actually need a couple more dudes over here. Like, it, you know, there's no like breach of contract or anything. It doesn't seem like in that sense where it's like if that money was in it, I won't say inadvertently, but ended up being, um, you know, put somewhere else. Like there's no one really stopping or regulating that. Right. Like there's nothing on the books for this, which is no, that's what of, I said. I mean, yeah, that's what I, that's, that's what I said this morning, like outside of I'm sure they're bored. There's no like finance report that just gets submitted to the fan base where they understand where everything's headed and where what's there and how this works. No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I made the, it wasn't a joke. It's a true story this morning. I mean, I talked to a donor a couple weeks ago who said that he had talked to the Grove collective and he was kind of joking, but he was serious. He's like, not only did he want to earmark money to baseball, he wanted to earmark money for a left-handed pitcher. That's where it went. He, he, he wanted to buy left-handed pitching. That was where he sat in the, in, in the conversation at this point. It's like, Okay, whatever. I mean, you know, such but, is the world we're we're living in. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a larger mess. I mean, it's probably larger similarities to nonprofits in general. It's like you can donate to this charity, and like I'm giving money to this X cause. It's like, well, is it actually going to that, or is some of that mm-hmm. going to you know things you would probably not have donated toward if you like knew that in the beginning? And again, no one's fault by any stretch. It's just the world we live in, and it's all like speculation. But it's just. It leaves all of us from our side of it wondering how this actually works and how it's going to work because it's just so vague in its nature. Yeah. Ole Miss uh, going with Xavier Rivas on um, 
Thursday, Thursday night against Missouri. So remember, that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all three remaining series, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Missouri, Auburn, and Alabama to close the season for Ole Miss. Revis on Thursday, JT Quinn on Friday, and then they're TBA on Saturday, but you have to think that's Grayson Zonia. He's coming off the SEC Freshman of the Week nod from a year ago. That that surprised me. It was even TBA. Barring something I'm unaware of, you would have to think it is uh, it is Revis Quinn and uh, Sonia for the weekend. You've uh, you got another show coming up, I'm assuming, with uh, the Derby on Sunday. You're going to talk some ponies this week? Yes, I am with uh, LB's Greg right after we get done recording this. And then also he recently bought a horse. So we're going to get into how he bought that. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, crowdsource some naming aspects of it. But uh, I will put on my fake Kentucky Derby horse racing hat for the weekend and pretend like I have any clue what's going on. I did have a couple buddies go on a bachelor trip a couple weekends ago and we're soliciting picks from our man's Greg, and I think he won them some money. So oh. this man just making a name for himself as the horse guru in Oxford. Do you know more about horse racing or soccer? Soccer, easily. Because okay. I can watch soccer on TV now and have an actual interest in it and then ask Weldon, like, why did this happen? Where, like, Greg's like, I bought this horse because look at the way it looks and look at the way it runs. I'm like, that looks like a horse to me. And honestly, if you ran a goat in one of these races, I'd be like, all right, that's a little smaller, but I don't really know why it's at a disadvantage. So uh, soccer easily, because I still just don't understand any nuance in horse racing. Yeah. We'll uh, have any Hunter Elliott news that we can confirm or gets reported on the site at rebelgrove.com. Again, Ole Miss and Missouri, Thursday, Friday, Saturday from Columbia, Missouri, the um, worst stadium in the SEC, but that's what the Rebels are for the next three before coming home to face Auburn next weekend for the home series finale there with the uh, the Tigers in just uh, over a week's time. So contentrebelgrove.com, right, Rippy Wright's coming up with Greg Jones this week as well. So that'll do it for today. He's Brian Rippy, Chase Parm, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon.